Welcome to Basic Christian Life. The teaching series within this podcast is a part of the Basic Discipleship Program. In Mark 8, 34, Jesus said, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Our hope is that this material will equip you with basic Bible truths that you can know how to effectively follow Christ. Now, let's join today's lesson. Hey, welcome to Basic Discipleship. And in this series, we're talking about the basic Christian life. And we are on lesson number five. And this lesson deals with the church. This is the second of two lessons on the subject, the church. If you remember in our previous lesson, we talked about four functions or priorities for the church and for every congregation. In this session, we're going to talk about two ordinances or observances that every church uh, should observe on a regular basis. It's so important that we understand these two acts of worship that the Lord has given us. They make Christianity distinct. They teach us very much, they teach us a lot, excuse me, about the Christian life, the gospel, how we relate to God and how we experience his life. Now, Christianity is not a religion of vain, empty religiosity. It is not a religion primarily focused on rules, requirements, rituals, and regulations. No, Christianity is about a relationship. Here is the message of the Bible. There is a God, 1 John 4, who is love and has created each of us for a relationship with himself. And he has made a relationship with himself possible, even though we are sinners, by sending Jesus Christ as a substitute to live the perfect life we could never live. And Jesus not only lived a perfect life on our behalf, he died for our sins. He was raised from the dead. He's now at the right hand of God. And all who believe and trust in him receive the forgiveness of sins, a portion of his spirit, and the hope of forever living with him in the new heaven and the new earth. And until that time, we have the opportunity to experience a qualitatively better type of life through a relationship with Jesus in the here and now. And so Christianity isn't about religion per se, rituals, rules, regulations, or requirements. It's about this relationship with God. Jesus spoke of this reality in John 17, 3, when he said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and his son whom you've sent. So know this, Christianity, the basic Christian life is about relationship. But there are these two rituals, we could say, there are these two observances that we should keep on a regular basis. But get this, these aren't hollow observances. These aren't things of empty religiosity. No, these observances are life-giving in a sense. By reminding and making us recall God's truth, they have a way of awaking us to the truth and grace of God so that we can powerfully live in relationship with our Lord. Two observances. You need to be aware of these. You need to participate in these if you want to experience the abundance of the Christ life. The first observance is baptism. Baptism. 
Jesus commanded baptism, we know. Jesus himself embraced and modeled baptism. In Mark chapter 1, we read that he went under the baptismal waters and was baptized by John the Baptist. And Jesus did that for a couple of reasons. Uh, First of all, he wanted to give a good demonstration of his purpose in coming to earth. He came to identify with sinners so that he could bury our sins and give us new resurrection type of life. Jesus didn't need to be baptized because he was a sinner. He needed to be baptized to show what he had come to do for sinners. So that's one purpose of Jesus' baptism. The other purpose is to give a model for us. We need to baptize new believers and we need to be baptized when we become believers ourselves. Now, from Scripture, we learn that there are a few purposes in this ordinance we call baptism. You need to be aware of these if you want to live the basic Christian life. First of all, we see that baptism is a means of confessing Christ. Confessing Christ. This act is closely related to our initial conversion. It is something that belongs to our first moments as believers. It is an act that is intended to make a public announcement that we are Christians. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, in giving the Great Commission, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Do you see from Jesus' words that baptism is closely related to one's conversion? This act, this observance, is a means of one making a proclamation that he or she is a Christian. It is a way of identifying with Christ. You see, when one is baptized, there should be other Christians present. And when one is baptized in front of those people, it is a way of making an acknowledgement, an announcement that one is a Christian. So baptism doesn't save a person, but it is a way of one announcing that he or she is saved. Baptism should be done in order to confess Christ, but number two, it's done to give a picture of salvation. Don't you love how Jesus taught? He so often used object lessons and symbols Uh, We know that our Lord is a creative God. He made the heavens and the earth. He understands how our minds function. And he knows that many times we need a visual representation of his truth. And he's given us such with baptism. In Romans chapter 6, Paul describes the Christian life. And to do so, he uses the metaphor of baptism. He says, Romans 6, 4, Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. See what the Lord has done with baptism. He's given us this great object lesson. It is a perpetual reminder of what's involved with 
the gospel and Christian salvation. When one goes under the water, he or she gives a picture that in Christ, the power of the old man, the power of sin has been buried and put to death. And when one is raised out of the water, it is an object, letter, object lesson for every observer. And it reminds observers that in Christ, we have resurrection power. We have the ability through the Holy Spirit to live a new type of life. We are no longer in bondage to shame and fear and sin and brokenness. We have in Christ abundant otherworldly life. Baptism. It's a means of confessing Christ. It gives a picture of salvation. Number three, I would say this, baptism is a way of practicing obedience. Why do we baptize? To practice obedience. I remember my preacher growing up, he used to say that baptism is the first act of obedience in the Christian life. The first act of obedience in the Christian life. Now, that's not necessarily in Scripture, those exact words, but I believe the principle is. You see Jesus in Mark chapter 16, verse 16, in Mark's account of the Great Commission, Jesus said, Mark 16, 15, "...go into all the world and preach the gospel to all the creation." Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, notice something very important before I get to the point here of um, regarding baptism, before I get to my teaching point here on the idea of practicing obedience. Notice something very important in this text. Jesus says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. There are some people who twist that verse to make baptism a prerequisite or a requirement for salvation. They would say, see right there, Jesus says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Well, did Jesus mean to say that you must be baptized in order to be saved? No. Look at the second part of the verse. He says, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. See, in the first half, Jesus speaks of believing and being baptized and that involving salvation. In the second part, he indicates that a lack of belief alone will lead one to condemnation. He doesn't say a lack of baptism leads to condemnation. So Jesus shows that baptism is not necessary for conversion, regeneration, justification, or salvation. But he does mention baptism right along with believing. Why? He wants to show how integral or important this observance is in the Christian life. The Lord has put it right at the beginning of the Christian experience for good reason. He does this for purpose of obedience. And he does it for two reasons in regards to obedience. First of all, the Lord wants to train us in obedience. In his divine wisdom, he has asked us to be baptized, dunked in water right after we are saved in order to get us in the habit of following his orders. It's a way of training us in obedience. We have an opportunity to learn early in the Christian life 
the blessings of obedience. Oh, remember the great song, Trust and Obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. I remember an old children's song that said, Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. And so we see when it comes to baptism, that is a means of training us in obedience because obedience is so important in the Christian life. But baptism is also something that tests, that tests our obedience. What, what do you mean by that, Patrick? Well, I've discovered this. If a new convert is unwilling to be baptized, many times that individual will fall away from the faith. Many times that individual will not follow through on following Christ. See, I believe the Lord in His infinite wisdom created baptism as a test. Now, now it's hard for us to really grasp this in our world of cultural Christianity, but in the ancient world in Jesus' day, baptism was indeed a test. To identify with the baptismal waters was to identify with a new movement, a new movement that was under threat of persecution. And Jesus knew that baptism was a way for people to draw a proverbial line in the sand. And if a person was willing to be baptized, it was often evidence that that one had indeed been saved and that that one indeed had the Holy Spirit. You see, the Lord created this thing as a test. And in some ways, this still works today, even in our world of cultural Christianity. We, we see this becoming more prominent as the rising tide of cultural Christianity recedes. We say, I've seen people as a pastor who gladly say, I want to become a Christian. I want to join the church. And then you ask them to get in water in front of a bunch of people and be willing to be immersed. And all of a the sudden they think, I don't know if I like this idea of following Christ. And the ordinance of baptism serves as a test, a test of obedience, a test of their faith. So be aware of this great ordinance called baptism. We get it from the Greek word baptizo. It means to dip or to immerse. And we believe that immersing people underwater best fulfills the Lord's purposes. It fulfills the picture that's involved in baptism. And it gives people an opportunity to confess Christ and to practice obedience. So, so be aware, believer, you want to live the Christian life, you need to have in your heart and mind how important this ordinance is. Number two, you need to be aware of the second ordinance, one we call the Lord's Supper. Now, the gospel writers give an account of when the Lord, around the time of the Passover, shortly before his crucifixion, observed the customary Passover meal with his disciples. But on the occasion of him doing so, he initiated a new ceremonial meal, one that was to endure for the Christian church. We now call it the Lord's Supper. And as with baptism, the Lord's Supper does not provide salvation. It does not give pardon of sin or secure an eternal destiny in heaven. 
But instead, like baptism, the Lord's Supper serves as an object lesson. It teaches several important truths about the Christian life. It's so important for Christians who want to be real disciples to regularly partake in this and to understand the place of the Lord's Supper in the Christian life. When we study the New Testament, we find out that there are a few reasons for this great observance. We see some truth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and Paul there gives us three reasons that we should observe the Lord's Supper. Uh, First of all, he tells us that we observe this meal to remember Christ. Uh, Paul said in verse 24, when the Lord took bread and gave thanks and broke it, he told his disciples, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Notice that word remembrance. The Lord knows that we are a people who are quick to forget, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And perhaps one area in which we are often prone to forget is the area of the gospel. We we often forget the basic message of the Christian faith. It's easy for us to forget that we are not saved, but by the blood and body of Christ. And then it's easy for us to forget as we're busy living the Christian life and doing church stuff and living life in general. It's easy for us to forget that all of our sufficiency, strength and satisfaction and security in life comes not from our religious efforts, but from the body and blood of Christ. So thanks be to God. He's given us this humiliating way lesson in in a way. He's given us this object lesson on a regular basis where we hold a piece of bread and some juice in our hands and we are humbled and forced to remember that we are nothing apart from the body and blood of Jesus. The Lord's given us this object lesson for this reason, to remember Christ. Secondly, to proclaim Christ. Paul said, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The word translated proclaim there is the same word used throughout the New Testament for Christian preaching. I often tell people in my church when we take the Lord's Supper that, hey, this is an occasion in which all of us get to be preachers. Some people like to tell the preacher what he should say or what he should preach. Well, this is the Lord's Supper. It is an opportunity for everybody to preach. Paul says it's a chance for us to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So when a body of believers gathers together, and I believe that's important, the Lord's Supper isn't something just for an individual to do on his, by his or herself. It is a corporate deal. But when a body of believers gathers together and they take of the elements, it's a way of them making a public announcement to all in attendance that it is by the body and blood of Christ that we are saved. The gospel is elevated. The gospel is preached. And the church gets some practice in doing what they ought to be doing Monday through Saturday. Preaching, proclaiming 
the good news to people within their circle of influence. Do you see what the Lord did in his wisdom with the Lord's Supper? He he created a meal where we get in the habit of remembering the gospel and where we get in the habit of proclaiming the gospel. But third, the Lord's Supper is given so that we can examine our walk, examine our walk with the Lord. Paul would say, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven: whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person, verse 28, examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. Now, in Paul's day in Corinth, this church he started on one of his missionary journeys, there were people eating, as he says, the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. If you were to read this letter, some were actually getting drunk on the wine at the Lord's Supper. There was all types of petty rivalries and divisions and There was showmanship within the church, and perhaps some of that had spilled over into the Lord's Supper. And Paul wants everybody within the church to know, before you come to the Lord's Supper, you ought to press the pause button spiritually. And you ought to use this occasion of looking at symbols of the body and blood of our Lord. You ought to use it as an occasion to examine your life and to see if there's any sin in your life. If you were to go on and to read the entire letter of, First Corinthians, you'd see that indeed there was some gross immorality in this church. And Paul here is encouraging the, encouraging the church, hey, use this holy occasion as a time to turn your perspective inwards. Gaze at your own soul and your own habit of life and let the body and blood of Christ humble you and, and, and examine yourselves to see if you have indeed First of all, embrace Christ. And secondly, if you are truly walking in a way that is worthy of Christ. So know this, believer. Why, why, if you want to live the basic Christian life, why do you need the Lord's Supper? You need to remember the gospel. Be at church. Gather with the believers when they observe the Lord's Supper. Why do you need the Lord's Supper? To proclaim the gospel. And you need it to examine your own life. So understand these two important ordinances. Make sure they're a part of your church. And make sure that you participate in them. Realize that the Lord has given these according to His wise, infinite purposes. By His divine designs for a reason. Don't neglect or forsake these things. Take them seriously. Participate in them for the good of your own soul and for the advancement of the gospel in this generation. Thank you for joining us today for our lesson on basic Christian life. Stay current with other episodes by subscribing to our podcast or visit us online at basicdiscipleship.net. If you have any questions about the materials presented in this lesson, or if you would like to give feedback, email us at info at basicdiscipleship.net. Thanks for listening.